Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's go in our Bibles together. Philippians chapter 1. We will be, God willing, coming to the end. We'll finish chapter 1 in this book about joy that is unbreakable, an unending joy that is available to every follower of Jesus Christ, the person whose sins have been forgiven, they've experienced the grace of God, and everything about their lives have changed from the inside out. This is what the gospel does. And we have been looking, and it's hard for us to ever, we don't ever want to move away from the gospel. And so the title of today's message is Gospel Privilege. And that's a key word in our culture today, privilege. If you come from a privileged background and you have privileges that maybe somebody else doesn't have, and is that an advantage? And what is this privilege that you speak of, wise, that, that we believers have a privilege and I've come today, tell me what is mine? Suffering. And Paul says this is a privilege So this is a little bit like a pastoral visit from an apostle, except he can't come to the bedside because he's in prison. It's a pretty good excuse. Can't get there. I'm in prison. I'm locked up. So I want you, if you will, to gather with me as I have been by the bedsides of hundreds of people, maybe approaching in the thousands in over 25 years of ministry and growing up in ministry, of watching people suffer. And I want to be clear that Paul here is dealing with suffering that is because of Christ. It's suffering for the sake of the gospel. But I also want you to understand that when we suffer physically, emotionally, God is not removed from that suffering. He understands when we suffer. And so we are right now not in a context where we suffer like our brothers and sisters do around the world for the sake of the gospel. It's increasing in our culture for people who take a stand for life, who defend the unborn. Our culture is a culture of death and they come after those people. But we will take a stand. And we will say what needs to be said, and we will, God willing, speak the truth in love and defend truth in love. So this is a, this is a pastoral visit. And I want us to just kind of gather, and here we are at the table, and we are at a bedside, and what usually happens when someone welcomes a visit, and I know the difference, is they usually say, hey, there's a chair over there. Pull that chair over sit down. That's very different than do what you want. Somebody called for you, the reverend to come, you know, and have at it. Good luck. Okay, it's very different than sit down. Read scripture. Pray over me. Let's remember the goodness of God. Because when suffering happens, there's often two questions that we, be, that we can be tempted with. One, what have I done? Okay, read the book of Job. That's what his friends were saying. What have you done? What have you done? What have you done? Come on, tell us. You can tell us. We're your friends. After they stared at him for a week. 
What have I done? The other question that is a temptation is, is God really good? I believe that God is good. Is God good? Is he good? We've, we've sung about it this morning, and we can give that to other people, but we must be careful, loved ones. We can give it glibly. We can give it just off. Well, I just, here's a verse for your suffering, but what about when the suffering comes home? And we are going through suffering, and we're tempted. What have I done? Is, is, is God mad at me? Is he upset with me? And we need this pastoral visit from this apostle so that our hearts are strengthened for the glory of God. Suffering was introduced into this world through our first parents, Adam and Eve, made male and female in God's image. Don't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. One no in the garden, and in came Satan, has God said. And since that day, we have died. We have suffered. In, in prison, Paul rested his head on the pillow of God's sovereignty. Can I ask you the question, loved ones? Are you able to rest your head at night on the pillow of God's sovereignty? It's a great place to find sweet rest. When we experience blessing, will we ignore God? When times are good and things go well and health is good and finances are good, the job, economy is good and all of these things are going well, our temptation is we forget the giver, we forget God and we, we begin to think like everyone else that walks the planet, this is just my life, this is what I deserve, this is what God owes me and something goes wrong and I've ignored him my whole life but now something goes wrong and where is God now? Well, he was there before you took your first breath, and he'll be there after I take my last. He always has been, and he always will be, and he is good. Amen. When times are hard, will we trust in ourselves, or will we trust in the Lord? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. He will make straight your paths. But that's not an easy life. When things are going well, where do we fix our eyes? When everything falls apart, where do we fix our eyes? May the Lord help us today, by the grace of God, every person under the sound of my voice, that you say, God, help me to fix my eyes on Jesus. Right now, right now, today, no excuses, no waiting, no delay, no being presumptuous as if I can say, oh, tomorrow I will what? But today, let us join with the psalmist, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? A lot of false religions, they pray to the hills. They have... Uh, places of worship on the hills. He says, do I, do I lift up my eyes to the hills? Do I think my help is coming from the hills? He says in verse 2, Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, all the hills and valleys, oceans, lakes, all of it. That's where my help. Loved ones, that's where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord. Thomas Watson, he lived from 1620 to 1686. He was an English Puritan preacher. 
he believed that he faced two main difficulties in pastoral ministry. And I want you to listen to this. And if you want to hear my heart as your pastor, this is it. This sums it up. He said, number one, this, this difficulty in ministry is making the unbeliever sad in recognition of his need of God's grace. Okay, that's one side of ministry is that I feel the weight that if you are here without Christ and you've never repented of your sin and you've never trusted in Jesus, then I am here with a heart inclined to you to make you come into the understanding and knowledge that you need Jesus. And there's a sadness that comes over your sin that has offended the God that, you have, that made you and you have offended just like I have. That's one side of ministry. That if someone in sin, that they would be humbled, that they would be grieved over their sin. He said the other side of ministry that is a great difficult in pastoral ministry is making the believer joyful in response to God's grace. One group needs to be sad. They need to be brought low. There's another group that needs to be with truth brought up, elevated, encouraged, strengthened, that you know this unbreakable joy. And that, he said, are the two great difficulties of ministry. And it's still true today. So Paul writes this letter, and we're going to begin in verse 27. We're going to pick up from where we were last uh, Sunday so that we can get this whole section all right, verse uh, 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For... See how it's connected here? It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is the word of God. This morning, loved ones, we want to look at this. Three gifts of grace. Three gifts of grace that are given for the sake of Christ. Given for the sake of Christ, there are three gifts. And the first gift that Paul talks about, and he encourages these believers, and you can just, if you just close your eyes and you think, you know, I'm in a bed, I'm in a hospital, I'm somewhere, I'm suffering, and the knock on the door, and it's the apostle Paul is here, and he pulls up a chair, and he sits beside you, and if you know Christ, he says, I want to encourage you about something. You have been saved. You've been rescued. And his first gift is eternal salvation. This is what God has given. His eternal salvation. This isn't for a moment. This isn't just out of a foxhole and deliver you for another week or two. This is he has saved your soul. And this is a priceless gift for it has been granted to you. That's what Paul is saying. It's been granted to you in verse 29. This is a gift to you. There's this grace to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, all right, that, that's the beginning. This is a priceless gift of sovereign grace from Christ. This is a gift of grace. It's been granted to you. It's been given to you. It's freely given. You can't earn it. You never earned it. You don't deserve it. It's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's been given to you, not by works. 
And this is what separates true Christianity away from every other religion on planet Earth. Every other religion says you need to try harder. You need to do these things. Don't do these other things. And this is the way to whatever they uh, would say is eternal life. And Jesus says, I am the way. You have to come. The only way you can get to the Father is you have to come through me. I am the door. So this grace is freely given to us, but I will say this, it's not free. That's a misunderstanding in our culture today is that free money from the government is free. And oh, how the hands go out for give me more, give me more, give me more. Someone has to pay the debt. Someone has to pay the cost. And so when we think about salvation, it's easy for our culture to come in like, like it was owed to me. I'm entitled to it. I deserve it. Let me say again, I'll tell you what I deserved. Hell. That's what I deserve. That's all I deserve. I don't deserve to be given this priceless gift of grace. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son that whoever believes in here, in him, this is what Paul is saying that's been given to you, that not only that you should believe in him, very much like John 3, that if you believed in him, it's a gift to you. You didn't do it on your own. You didn't wake up out of your slumber, your deadness, and come to faith in Christ. He graciously saved you. And this is the outcome of those who have believed you should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. That's the two outcomes, and it all rests on how have you responded to Jesus Christ? Have you believed in this gift? Have you received this gift, the one and only Savior? And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, for you know, he writes to the Corinthians, you know this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, might become rich. This is a priceless gift that is from Christ, and it cost him everything. So don't think for a second this is free. Salvation is free. It's just free. It is free because Jesus paid the price. So this gift is from Christ, but Paul is making a point here that this gift is primarily for Christ. When he purchased my salvation, I'm not the big deal. It's not all about me and it's not all about you. It's all about Jesus. So Paul is saying he purchased you, he bought you with his own blood, and you didn't deserve it, but he graciously gave this to you. But don't lose sight of who is the main person, the main one to receive all of our worship and all of our attention. It's all about Jesus. And this is what is good. And this is what is best for us. This is a gift that's primarily for Christ. We're saved by him. We're saved through him. And we're saved for him. Ephesians 2.10, that we're saved for good works that we're his workmanship. There's a reason why we're saved. There's a reason why he's given to us his eternal salvation. So for the sake of Christ, Paul says, this is the big picture of our salvation, to be in Christ. Can I ask you this morning, have you received this gift of eternal salvation and it's only in one person, Jesus? There's no other salvation. There's no other savior. There's no other way. 
And you must, while you are living, there must come a point when your life stops living for you as if you are God and you acknowledge that God, the creator, made you, you offended him by your sin and you deserve punishment in a place separated from God for all eternity, but he made a way in Christ so that you do not have to be separated. You do not have to be punished. He will not punish twice for the same offense. And so here's your option. Come to Jesus and receive his gift of salvation because he was punished in your place. And you take refuge under him like, a, like that little chick under the mother hen and the judgment falls on the mother hen and the chick comes out after the fire and is survived at the price of the life of that little chick's mom. And Jesus says, oh, when he wept over Jerusalem, I wanted you to come to me like a mother hen wants the little ones to come, but you would not come. Instead, they said, crucify him. And the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus so that everyone who trusts in him, the wrath of God is dispensed. It's done. It's vanquished because it was poured out on Jesus and now we've been adopted. So think about this. Traitors, treasonous, rebellious people, and we have been forgiven, adopted, redeemed, and placed in the family and made a joint heir with Christ. Now that's something that you can encourage someone when they're in a bed of suffering. That's something that our souls can latch onto that hold us through whatever the storm has come, is coming, or you're in the middle of right now. I am saved. I am secure. I have been redeemed. And if you have not yet been, today is the day it's available to you. You must just come, surrender. Give your life to Jesus today. And what you hear that is given to believers, it's, it's available to you. There's no shortage on this. We don't need any presidential executive order to make more available. It's all available, but you must humbly repent of your sin and surrender your life to Jesus. That's the cost. It costs him his life. It'll cost you your life. But it's eternal salvation. It's not a little bailout. It's not a little loan for a while. It's not a little gift to last you a, a week or a month. This is eternity we're talking about. And your soul is eternal, loved ones. So don't miss this. And often when we hit suffering, we start thinking about these things. We start considering the real, the great, the meaningful questions. So that's the first gift of, uh, of his grace for the sake of Christ. His eternal salvation. He gives it freely. But then here's the second privilege that we have been given. And that is, Paul says, this momentary suffering. And, and this is for Christ. The, but that you would also, this has been given to you, granted to you, but also suffer for his sake. This momentary suffering. You see the, you see the contrast there between the first and the second point? The salvation that he offers to you, the salvation that he has given to you if you're in Christ, it's eternal. It's forever. The suffering that we endure in this lifetime is momentary. And so I'm going to give to us this morning these scriptures that we're going to come across that we absolutely must have and hold dearly in our hearts because we're going to need them and the people that we love are going to need them. So if you have a pen ready, or the advantage is you can always go back and get the podcast, or you can go on YouTube and this sermon, and you can jot these things down and say, I'm going to need these. I'm going to need these truths. For everyone, loved ones, 
suffering is painful. Okay, this is all of humanity. For all of humanity, it's painful. Suffering is painful. In Genesis 2, we were warned against sin. That was a loving warning. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day you eat of that, you will die. And then in comes Satan, as God said. Just, just doubt the word of God. We're living right now, in the day we live, there are pastors influential of thousands of people that are in front of their people and on YouTube and through their whole social media outlets, they are deconstructing. They are just imploding theologically. Has God said, it's the same thing. Do you take the word of God and take it to heart and believe it or is the word of God for yesteryear? And we need to start somewhere else to be able to relate and identify with people today. Where are you gonna start other than where the creator began? And you're gonna have anything to offer. For everyone's suffering is painful. This is what the Lord told Adam and Eve in the garden. And they experienced that. Genesis 2, Genesis 3. The destructive impact of our sin has been universal. So therefore, when Paul writes in Romans 8, all of creation is groaning. It's under the curse of sin. Right now, many of us are reading through the Bible and we've been through Genesis and you see the curse is entered. It's it's given in Genesis chapter three for our sin and we're put out of the garden. We're put out of the presence of God. That fellowship is broken. But Genesis 3.15, the promise of a redeemer, the seed of a woman is given. And so the rest of scripture is pointing to the one the promised one messiah would come and even through genesis you see in the descendants and you see a reversal of the curse you see a reversal of the blessing the younger is put in front of the older and the younger is put in front of the older and again and what is being god doing he's saying i do things my way and i'm good you aren't look at the families the heritage of our faith abraham isaac jacob look at their families much problem, you know, difficulty, sin, chaos, and the Lord is with all of those crooked pencils writing a straight line of redemption. I love that because that gives me hope that he'll redeem a sinner like me, and he has. Now, the temptation is when we go through this painful suffering, and this is for everyone, is that people say, well, what have I done? What, how is God after me? Now, in John, John chapter 9, if you just turn in your Bibles there, it, it won't come on the screen. John chapter 9, I just want you to lay eyes on this. The disciples are with Jesus, and they see a man who they know, right, in their community. They've seen him for many years. He's a man born blind, And in John chapter 9, they ask Jesus the question, verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, this is the other side of the health, wealth, prosperity gospel that are the guys are on TV a lot and some ladies saying, if you have enough faith, then the Lord will do this. He's obligated to you. This is the other side of that very same coin. Look at the guy born blind. Who sinned? Him? In the womb? Maybe it was his parents. Jesus, tell us. And Jesus answered, verse 3, John 9, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, 
but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Guys, you're wrong in your thinking. You're looking at someone going through hard times, like Job's friend saying, God's getting you, isn't he? he you've done something wrong, aren't you? We've, you've, we, you know, we've, we thought you were really great person, but there must be something going on because you're really suffering. It's like the bottom has fallen out of your life. And, and so I'm praying for you, brother. Okay, that's what these guys were saying over this man born blind. And Jesus refutes that. He says, no, no, no. This is the goodness of God. And this miracle is about to happen in his life right now. I put him here for this. God is sovereign over suffering. In Luke chapter 13, there was a horrific death of some Galileans. And, and Jesus says, do you think, because they asked Jesus, what about, have you heard about this horrific massacre that happened? And, and what's going on there? And Jesus says, do you think that they were worse sinners because they suffered in this way? And the whole crowd would have said, yeah. And Jesus says, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What is the tragedy? It's not how you die. It's the condition of your soul if you die without Christ. That's the tragic death. For every child of God, death is only an usher that takes us into the presence of the one who died for us and rose again. That's it. So we grieve, but we grieve, Paul says, with hope. Then Jesus brings up another thing to them. He says, well, what do you think about the tragic death of the 18? And this is all in Luke 13. Do you think that they were worse sinners? And everybody would have said, well, I was going to say yes a second ago, but you said no on the Galilean thing, so I don't know what to say. And Jesus says the very same thing, unless you repent you will all likewise perish. It doesn't matter if you die of old age or an accident or a, a murder, a horrific murder. If you die without Jesus, that's the eternal tragedy. Are you listening to me? Amen. If our loved ones die without Christ, that's the eternal tragedy. There's no redemption offered after your life, after your heart stops. And so this makes us serious about these things that God uses suffering to stop our, I have to be there and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. I, me, mine. And we say, what is God's plan for my life? And I will park me and mine for the glory of God and the good of all nations. I'll see how that fits. I'll live my life, God, helping me with the right perspective. So for everyone, suffering is painful. So yes, we need to be sensitive to this. As Christians, we need to to be able to minister well to people who are suffering, to come alongside of them, to not be like Job's friends looking down our nose at people. But listen to this now for Christians, and this is what Paul is zeroing in on. He's saying suffering is purposeful. We're not exempt from suffering, but suffering has a point. It is not for nothing. Sorry, English teachers, the double negative there. But this is the reality. There's a point that our suffering, because we're in Christ, it's purposeful. The fruit of suffering is strength and patience and a greater good for God's glory. That's Romans 8.28 in action. That God works all things together for good to those who love him. That's a Christian. 
they love God more than they love their life. They love God more than they love their family. They love God more than they love their own reputation. They love God more than they love their own bank account and their resume or portfolio or their future. They love God. Because why do they love God? Because they were called according to his purpose. So here are these scriptures, and I trust you've got some room to just put these scriptures in because it's, it's a theme throughout scripture that the people of God have always needed. Okay, we're in a long line here of victorious people who suffer. James chapter one, the half-brother of Jesus, verse two, count it all joy, my brothers, Okay, so he's talking to Christians. I can't say this if somebody doesn't know Christ. I can't say, oh, count it all joy, unbeliever. They, they, they don't have a share in this yet, but it's available to them. You understand the difference? This isn't, aha, we have this and you don't. No, this is available to you. So I, I, when I suffer and people look in on suffering, I want them to say, how do you have this joy? What is this? Oh, it's, it's available for you too? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Well, what about this kind of trial? Is that in various kinds, all types? Well, what about physical, various kinds? What about, you know, political, economic, all types of trials? Verse 3, 4, you know, okay, you've been taught this. You've got to be reminded of this. This is true, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you, brothers, loved ones, believers, may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, if we were to start there, how many here today want to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? And all the people said, yes, that's me. Okay, well, then we got to back up because it comes through trials of various kinds and keeping our eyes on Jesus. Oh, can't we get there an easier way? No. You want a tool to work on an engine? It better have gone through the forge. Right? It has to be tested and refined and purified. First Peter chapter 1, the apostle of Peter, he writes, verse 6, he says, In this you, oh, here's this theme again, rejoice. I mean, is this describe us? When we're suffering, when we go through difficulties, whether it be internally, in our family, are we known as those who rejoice? You have to make that personal. Am I known by my spouse and children and parents and my coworkers as that person rejoices? Or do we complain and groan and murmur, well, you know, and fill in the blank, right? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by, here's what James said, various trials. Verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, gold is temporary, your faith is eternal, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
That's something we can rejoice in. Do you have those scriptures written down? James 1, 1 Peter 1. You say, well, that's the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? Listen, we just came through, if you're reading through the Bible, the Old Testament, and we just wrapped it up with Joseph's life. In the Old Testament, Joseph betrayed by his, you know, loved by his father, preferred there was just a spoiled brat. He could have been in the house. His father gives him the, the, the coat of many colors. His brothers hate him. God gives him dreams. He can't, his brothers can't stand him. His brother, his dad can't figure out, son, what are you, what are you talking about? You were all going to bow down to you, your mother, your dad, your brothers. They don't understand what God is doing. Joseph doesn't understand. Hey, Joseph, take the food to your brothers. Okay. Yes, sir, dad. Takes the food to his brothers. Here he comes, the dreamer. Let's kill him. No, 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 don't kill him. Throw him in a pit. Reuben heads out for a minute, comes back from wherever he went. And where's Joseph? Oh, we made some money on him. We sold him the price of a slave. He's on his way to Egypt. The book of Psalms tells us that his, he was fettered to that train and he walked fettered and those chains hurt him, physically hurt him to walk from his home to Egypt. A real scar, scars on his limbs because of his brothers. And then you fast forward through time and all of the betrayal and all the lies and everything else. And it seems like this man is forgotten about in prison until Pharaoh has a dream. And then the butler remembers, oh, I do remember my faults. I forgot you have a guy in prison and he, he, tell, he could tell you the answer of the dreams. Remember when you were mad at me and, then, you know, and all that? Yeah, go get him. Go get him. Okay. Here's Joseph. Uh, I don't give interpretive dreams, but God does. Okay, give me that guy on my team. Looking at Pharaoh, no fear. I'll speak the truth. I, I'm nobody. But the God I know, he's God. Tells him the dream. You need somebody in charge. Seven good years, seven bad years. And Pharaoh for a moment says, hmm, I need somebody like this. And he's looking around his cabinet. No. No. No, definitely no. No, I don't even know who. Yeah. You're the guy, Joseph. Here's my ring. Here's my signet. Everybody listen up. Nobody lifts a leg in this land unless Joseph has, you have his permission. Now, that all works out good as long as you got Joseph in that position. When the next Pharaoh arises that doesn't know the Lord, it all turns south. And the government is in control of everything. They own everything. And people are trusting in the Pharaoh of Egypt to supply their needs instead of the God of Joseph. But that's all part of God's sovereign plan. But Joseph's brothers, they hit the famine. They go down to Egypt. They come. Joseph sees them. All of that unfolds. They go home without a brother. They come back and they bring Benjamin and it all comes down to what's Joseph gonna say? And he's, finally, he, he just is weeping and they don't know why and he runs everybody out that's Egyptian and he says, leave me alone with these guys. You sure about that? Yes. It's me, Joseph, your brother. Put yourself in their shoes. Nobody, nobody breathes without his permission in this land. What are they thinking? Oh, we're dead. We're dead. 
They've said it already, and he listened to them. This is God getting us back for what we did to the innocent brother of ours. And then he covers them. And then their dad comes to Egypt. And then their dad dies. And then they say in Genesis 50, oh, great. Now Joseph's going to get us because dad is dead. As if their father was the one keeping them alive. And listen to what Genesis 50 verse 20 says. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for Romans 8.28. I mean, loved ones, do people around us know us to be that kind of character? You know, somebody offended me. You know, somebody wronged me. You know, somebody's not living up to my standards. How does that compare or contrast with Joseph? You, he's honest with them. You meant it for evil. What you did, I paid the price for what you did. Your jealousy, your envy, your hatred, your bitterness, your self-centeredness, all the dysfunction, I paid the price. I still have the scars from the shackles that I was in because of you guys. You meant it for evil. He doesn't. Listen, if you have been through suffering against you, someone has taken advantage of you in your lifetime, Christianity, the God of the Bible, does not ignore that suffering. Hear me. He has been there. He is here. He's aware of it. He doesn't run from it. He doesn't, he's not dishonest about it. And Joseph is honest. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I sleep on the pillow of God's sovereignty, brothers. I'm not dependent on an earthly father. I have a father in heaven, and he sent me here through your evil plan so that you're going to live, and Egypt is going to live, and people are going to live, and followers who know God, they fight for life. They promote life. It's a culture from hell that wants to kill and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. Think about that as what Jesus said and put that with the headlines that come across our screens at night. And you wonder what's going on. And I wonder what are we doing as a church to shine the light and make a difference in a culture that wants to steal, to kill, and destroy Joseph knows the sovereignty of God to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And do you know what he did? Love covers a multitude of sins, all their sin, all their shame, all their wickedness against him. And he says, the grace of God will cover that. And it's the joy of my heart and life, not with my dad watching. He's with the Lord now to simply cover your sin and cover your shame because he's forgiven me, I'll forgive you. Our is that how we function? Is that how you think about the people that are difficult in your life? Because this is a heavenly perspective. This isn't an earthly perspective. Jesus came to the earth. He fulfilled what Isaiah said in the Old Testament. He didn't skip suffering. That was the temptation that Satan offered him. Just, just bow down to me and let's skip the cross. No, Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, 
we are healed. Oh, you meant it for evil. Crucify him. Crucify him. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. The apostle Peter, completely transformed by the love and grace of Christ. Listen to what he wrote, 1 Peter 2. He's writing to people who are suffering. They're going into suffering. He says, for what credit is it? If when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. So what? Like, what's the point of that? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He's saying the same thing Paul is. If you stand for what is right, if you stand in the darkness and shine the light and you suffer for it, not for being an idiot, not for doing wrong, not for being offensive and a jerk, if you stand for what is right and you speak the truth in love, you have no reason to hang your head. Trust the outcome to the Lord. 1 Peter 3.14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Hey, listen up. Have no fear of them. Don't lose any sleep over them. Don't be troubled over them. Don't waste your life worried about what people are going to think about you. Oh, they say. I want to please the Lord, and I want to be pleasing in his sight, and that's going to make me the best that I should be for you, for my family, for this time that I've been placed on this planet. 1 Peter 4.16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, so now we're specific, it's not just suffering, but suffers as a Christian, because he's a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Jesus suffered, and I'm sharing in his suffering. Now I'm gonna glorify God. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you hear how he's, he's writing this? This affliction is light, it's momentary, and it is actually serving us. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Can't even describe it, can't even compare it. You know, it's kind of like, got nothing, because we haven't been there. You, you can't compare it. Side note, try to explain the Trinity, you can't compare it to anything. It's like this. Because you're trying to understand it from a human mind created by the triune God. Good luck with that. There's no such thing as luck, but you can't. It's true. And this is what Paul is saying. Take this truth when you're suffering and realize this is light and momentary, but it's doing something and it's for eternity. So let that truth take hold of your heart and give you that rebar in your soul that you need. It comes from the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And how can we not get to 2 Corinthians 12? You remember in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I had a thorn in the flesh. I prayed three times. And the Lord said, no, no, and no again. But he said this to me, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, well, based on that truth, based on that word from a living God, I will boast all the more gladly of all my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of, here it is again, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Church, can we say that with Paul? I am content with weaknesses. 
I am content when people insult me. I am content when I go through hardships. I am content when I am persecuted. I am content when I go through calamities. Why, Paul says, because when I'm weak, that's when I'm really strong. When I think I'm strong, that's when I'm at my weakest. Can you identify with that? I come out of some really good time in my life, a spiritual high, a trip, and things are going well, and guess when temptation and all kinds of struggles come at me like a, like a tidal wave? It's in when I think I'm strong, and my eyes, like Peter, can be taken off of Jesus, and I, oh, help, rescue me, save me. I want to I share another account, and, and this is why and Stephen challenged us with this, of, of reading biographies of those saints who have gone before us. Annie Johnson Flint she was born on Christmas Eve, 1866. Her mother died when she was a toddler. Her father was unable to care for his two daughters, young daughters, so he gave them up to a, a family that he came to know through a teacher. This teacher was uh, at the Flint household, and, and she was always talking to them, these, these girls, these girls, these girls, these girls, and the Flints had a passion, and they were believers, and they said, what about these girls? These girls need a home? We'll give them a home. Their father said, fine, you can, you can have them. He was dying with a terminal Ill illness at that point. It was in a very difficult time of life. She came to know Christ as her Savior. She finished one year of college after high school. She wanted to be a teacher. But then she had to quit. She had to take care of her sister because her adopted parents died. So now what are you going to do? Money is tight. Her body was overrun at this point now with arthritis at a young age, so she couldn't be a teacher. Now, how am I going to provide? She began writing. She, her poems were published in Sunday school teaching and materials, and she began writing, and she would get income as people would purchase her poems. In sorrow and pain, you can see that the, the picture is there, just suffering. If you read her writings, there's very, very, very little that ever talks about her suffering. She's never self-centered. She says very little about the pain. When it came time for her to, to die, she was on a bed of pillows, still in pain. And her response to what I just read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 was to pen this poem that became a hymn. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundaries known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, this woman filled with pain and arthritis, he giveth and giveth and giveth again.
he giveth more grace. That's her response. Before she died, September 8th, 1932, there she is laying on that bed of pillows. And the doctor came in and he said, is there anything, is there anything I can do? Is there anything you need to say? And she said, her last words, I have nothing to say. It is all right. How do you get there? How do you have unbreakable joy like that? It's okay. I have nothing to say. It is all right. It's all good. What? That's Jesus. That's when she actually understood this momentary suffering is a gift. And I'll receive it from my Father in heaven and trust him. He's given his eternal salvation, this momentary suffering, and then three, our shared struggle. Our shared struggle. See, Paul, when he thinks about them and he's not there with them yet, he wants to be there with them, but he doesn't want to wait for them to start believing and acting as children of God. He's saying, you know, get on this one thing, get on it right now, put this into practice. But this is what I'm hearing, you're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now you hear that I still have. This is a struggle that we're in this together with brothers and sisters in Christ. We're engaged. He's saying, so if we unpack this, and we can make this personal that you observed your mentor, your spiritual leader initially. That's where it all began for all of us. Somebody shared the gospel with you. Somebody shared Christ with you. Somebody set an example for you to follow and you looked to them and that's where it began initially. You didn't know all that you needed to know. You didn't hardly know anything. But you were guilty and you were under the load of your sin. And somebody brought, and they shared with you that Jesus Christ, he gave his life so that you can be forgiven and belong to him and you trust him. So initially, your eyes were on that person that God used to bring you to faith in Christ. Can I ask you the question? Who helped? Who influenced you and led you to to faith in Jesus Christ? How much is their presence and their ministry and God putting them in your life, how much does that influence you in a way not to always be looking back, but to be looking forward to say, God, I wanna honor what their investment was in my life and I wanna live my life in such a way that my life will be invested into others. Instead of thinking that they invested into me, the end, you've seen the best there is here, folks. No, 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 no. It came to you, the gospel did, because it was on its way to someone else. So how, who influenced you? Who led you to faith? Who taught you? Who brought you? Paul is that guy for them. They observed him. They watched him. He brought the gospel with that missionary team to town, to Philippi, and he suffered, and he was in jail, and he was singing in an earthquake. And then the Philippian jailer, and all of a sudden, the church is born. They watched him suffer to bring them this message. Initially, they observed this message, but then... Paul is saying, you didn't stay in the, in the stands. You weren't spectators for life. You actually engaged in the conflict personally. You became involved. You became participants. And the word there for this struggle is the word where it's, it's agon, okay? So you get this arena, and there would be an arena, and they were familiar with this, where, where there would be struggle, and there would be uh, wrestling, and there would be all of these fights, the gladiator fights in the arena. And he says, you were watching the fight happen, and then you saw the fight happening, and you said, actually, you know, hold my coat. 
I'm getting in there with the guy. I'm not going to stay out here. Come on, you can do it, Paul. Come on, Paul, you can do it. At some point, you said, we can get in there. Hold my coat, I'm getting in. And Paul's like, Whoo, I'm not alone anymore. There's other people that are engaged in this conflict, and you're with me, and this was personal to you. This wasn't, hey, he needs help. Okay, we need some volunteers this week to get in the arena with uh, the Apostle Paul. He's really, uh, you can see him there. He's kind of bloody now. It's really going south. Okay, we're looking. Okay, let's start with the longest members. You've been here the longest. All right, you're in. No, this is, I'm getting in there. Why am I going to let somebody else have, have this challenge? This is like David, like, oh, uh, y'all hear the giant out there? Our God's not okay with that. And he'll give me that man's head. He said, you engaged you got in here with me. Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews encourages the believers. Verse 34, he said, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You accepted people taking all your stuff because you said, it's all stuff. It's stuff. And I have an inheritance that you can't touch. And you engaged. And you've experienced the conflict and you're not running from the battle. And so Paul is encouraging them. He's sitting over the edge of the bed of suffering. You engaged. I love you. I'm not alone. I'm suffering, you're suffering, but we're not alone, and this is temporary. And he's saying this, we're united in this mission continually. We're on the same team. We're in the same family. And so we're fighting against a common enemy. They were sincere in their love for Christ and for one another. Imperfect, you bet you. Are we perfect? No way. But your name says grace community. Do we show grace perfectly? No, but God help us, we want to. I want to. They were loyal and faithful in their partnership. That's why this letter, you know, Epaphroditus comes and visits Paul. Paul's sending this letter back with Epaphroditus. He's saying, we're in this together. It cost you something, and I love you, and you love me. Listen to what Thomas Watson, and I'm going to encourage you again. If you need a book to prepare you for suffering, Thomas Watson, Puritan book, uh, I think it's under $10, All Things for Good. And it's his, it's his treatment of Romans 8.28. And he says this, he says, afflictions to the godly are medicinal. Out of the most poisonous drugs, God extracts our salvation. Afflictions are as needful as ordinances. Baptism, communion, afflictions. No vessel can be made of gold without fire, so it is impossible that we should be made vessels of honor unless we are melted and refined in the furnace of affliction. All things for good. And Jesus said these words, and I read them last week. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. 
but take heart. Get in the ring. You have one life, don't waste it. I have overcome the world. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Don't, don't forget that. I have overcome the world. So can I ask you the question? What's your next step? What's your next step to trust the Lord with all of your heart? Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and allow him to take your path through the good times and the bad times for the glory of God and the good of all peoples. Let's stand together. Oh, Father, we need the help of your Holy Spirit to rightly understand and apply this word. Oh, Father, we, you have given through Christ, you have given us gifts. And we thank you, Lord, for eternal salvation. We want that for everyone who doesn't know you, Lord. But we also thank you and we trust you through this suffering that is temporary. Lord, we receive suffering that comes from your hand as a gift of grace. And Lord, and we share in this struggle together and I thank you from the depths of my heart for the men and women, the brothers and sisters in Christ that you have placed in my life and we're engaged in the work of the gospel together. Father, I thank you. I treasure these gifts of grace. And as we're here this morning, Right now, there are many who are suffering in all types of beds of affliction, Lord. And you know each specific need. And so we entrust these souls, Lord, to you and the families and Father in situations where people have not yet repented of their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, we'd ask that today is the day and they simply say, I'm here. I'm guilty. I'm the sinner. I've sinned against you, Lord. And they would believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is their only hope. And they would receive the gift of salvation by confessing him as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that you will save those who are not yet converted. And I pray that you will give the joy of the Lord that is unbreakable to every child of God. No matter where they are, Lord, if they're wandering, if they're off, that they will remember your voice. And they will return and worship you and serve you and invest their life for eternity and not waste it. Oh God, we thank you. You are so good. And we stand in awe of you. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.